Bourbon and Brown Town is an affiliate podcast of Soapbox Production and Organizing that pairs critical analyses of media, culture, politics, and everyday happenings with the tastiest of spirits. With the occasional help of Chicago's most talented and creative artists, activists, filmmakers, academics, and social entrepreneurs, Brownton unpacks current events, social issues, and gives personal insight into various topics. Soapbox is a film and social activism nonprofit that specializes in multimedia curation of creative projects centered around education, entertainment, and structural social change for a more equitable and creative world. So for this episode, sit back, sip something good, and enjoy. host yet again david out here i feel lonely you know kind of missing my gang staying in the same room but as always my peoples are out here i still see y'all virtually Call we me out in the How world doing, we out in the Fast. world we out here we in the streets i mean we're quarantine I'm, i've been quarantined for the last 10 days but okay whatever. you're right you're right you're, 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 you have been quarantining uh okay so I'm, I'm fine fuck me how are you doing tell us about the past 10 days for you they've been kind of eventful. oh man it's it's been nuts i think you know uh and it's interesting because like we've had a lot of conversations about like coronavirus covid how people are actually quarantining or not um over the last few days we kind of got like a, a scare ultimately i really say um, you know, we were, we were exhibiting a lot of symptoms, which is crazy. If you look at the list of symptoms, it's fucking nuts. It's like, I could have everything and also have COVID. So it doesn't make sense. But, um, you know, we got tested over the day. So that was my, my first process came back negative. So that there's a positive there, but you know, there's still things going on within my household. Um, you know, my brother's partner is currently hospitalized. Uh, and so it's like, you know, people, you know, be, be careful out there just cause you know, you think the media is playing amok. I think a big conversation that I've been hearing with people is like, oh, we know the hospitals are faking the results and blah, blah, to get money. I was like, well, first of all, that's just a negative. So that's like contrary, but it's like, oh, well, it could be a, pa- uh, like a false negative and blah, blah, blah. So it's like, there's, there's levels of shit. All of this to say, like, you know, take care of yourself. Drink your vitamin C, you know, B12, all that, all that jazz. But luckily, thank God, feeling much better. And I'm really excited to be able to have this conversation um, for all of you who are listening. So uh, <laughs> since you're still kind of recovering, are you, are you sipping on anything fun or, or what's happening over there? Drink wise? Yes, Propel. Dude, propel. Um, it is the, uh, the electrolyte water beverage. It okay. is a kiwi strawberry. Um, the doctor did not recommend spiking anything. I didn't know um, they still made so- that. And the first time, and the first time I like make an actual drink, I've got some ice cubes. I put a little Ooh. frozen cherry in this bitch. Put some uh, some bourbon, little little splash, little splash of ginger ale, and then like then like ten shakes of some bitters and mix that shit up. And it's delicious. It's so great. I'm doing like every night, every night. But like instead of just doing like just like straight bourbon, I probably like get fancy with it a little bit. Take like an extra minute to make an actual drink. So kudos to me. Shout out Ashley. She like <laughs> she showed us up a couple episodes ago. So I had to do had to do something. Um, let me digress. And introduce uh, a friend of mine who I'm very excited to chop it up with, uh, Miss Morgan Malone. Morgan Malone is a public servant, expert in human-centered design and collective impact, and dedicated resident of the South Side of Chicago. 
Morgan has worked across the civic landscape and a variety of roles that have informed her holistic lens and approach to finding solutions and fixing systems. Known hmm. for her aptitude in building and restructuring systems and initiatives, Morgan is an experienced civic leader, skilled strategist, and consistent figure in Chicago's neighborhood and economic development sphere. Morgan M. Dub, what is goody? <laughs> Hi, how are y'all doing? And you know what? Actually, all my names start with M. Oh, okay. What's Free? that? What's that male name action look like? Oh yeah, no, I can't. Oh, you're not gonna get that. Yeah, can't get the government name out there too too early. No, too early. We just started talking. We just started talking. That's awesome. <laughs> you know what though? Speaking of vitamins, I wanted to say something when y'all were talking about it because I just ordered this like personalized vitamin set. It's called TakeCareOf.com, and you fill out a quiz and they tell you what vitamins you need and they send you an individualized packet every single day. For 30 days supply. And so, so then now I don't have to think about it. So is this quiz? What's in this quiz? Is it like, I'm this deficient. I I do this. So I need more of. I'm stressed. XYZ. I'm tired. Yeah. I'm pregnant. I'm not pregnant. I'm just, that's an option. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> she just, she just, she just winked at us, y'all. Mm, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just somebody, playing. there's somebody out there. Cool. Well, I mean, thank you, Morgan, for, uh, for joining us here on Bourbon and Brown Town. I know you are also remote. Uh, doing your thing, but you know, I taking the time indeed. out here to hang out with us is always dope sauce. I mean, I think in your so from starting from your bio, um, that was just there's a lot there to kind of unpack. Um, I kind of want to give you an opportunity to tell folks who might not know anything about you, maybe a little more something, and then we can kind of dive into um, really resisting in place. Thank you all for having me. I'm so excited. Um, I moved to Chicago probably six years ago from Northern Virginia. And I've done a little bit of everything. I've worked at unions. I've worked in neighborhood organizations. I've done I've volunteered. I've worked in, for the city in aviation. And now I work in development. And it's been very cool. Um, it's been a great opportunity to see all different types of uh, attitudes and stakeholders around the city, as well as just like a variety of issues and like getting a really good understanding of economic development and how capitalism and systems and all of these things affect people's lives intimately. Uh, one of my good friends, Xavier, he always says you need to be close to the work. And like, if you think something's not going on, it's probably just because you're not close to it. Mm. And so one of the things that I've subconsciously been doing, I think the whole time is just trying to be as close to people and their experiences and amplify those and center those as much as I possibly could so that I could have a good understanding. Um, because the way that I envision the world is more of like human-centered design how do we create a space that is affirming and values health, wellness, and vitality for all people? And so I use human-centered design to inform the way that I engage with any work that I do um, so that I'm able to like effectively advocate in spaces where I'm the only one or would be one of few. Yeah, that is so fascinating. I think when when I met you, I was just impressed by the, the spaces that you traverse uh, both professionally and personally and without even you stating it or making a name to it, I can tell like you are all about people, right? Yeah, I met Colin and I was a fan and he was just being nice to me. This lady I was, I was, emailed I was me. I was fanboying too. What I was mean? a total fan. This lady, wait, wait, she how, how did y'all me. meet? Let me know. I didn't know nothing. How y'all well, meet? This, this, so I serve on the County Social Innovation Commission. And one of my committee members, because I chair our intellectual capital committee, reached out to me and she's like, you're going to love Soapbox PO so much. I want to introduce you to Colin. He's so great. Can I do an e-intro? I was like, yeah, girl. 
So Colin and I were supposed to go to Starbucks, but I had already done all my research on Soapbox Peel, so I was already kind of pressed. And we got the time wrong. So we showed up, and we literally had 10 minutes before I had somewhere else to go. <laughs> it was just like, okay, but I think what you're doing is dope, and I read everything, and I want to talk some more, so can we schedule again? And he was acting like, I mean, I guess. He was acting if like- I can find time. Let me, let me right, take my like, Palm Pilot. <laughs> like girl please so we still ended up meeting again uh, and it worked out and now he's like oh my gosh you're great but I was a total fan from the jump these are these are partial lies and untruths I'm gonna let him go (laughs) Uh, I mean it it all sounds like 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 call anyway but I mean I think I was first um, uh, you you put out a video on Instagram actually a while back uh, about resisting in place, and that's actually like my first encounter to some of the work that you were doing. And so for folks who, you know, don't have internet in their quarantine home, um, could you tell folks a little bit about resisting in place, what that is, where that came from? And I, I know Colin will dive in a little bit. Yeah, you know, this actually ties this actually ties in really well to how I met Colin and wanted to be involved with Soapbox PL. One of the first couple of times that I met him, I said, um, hey, you know, I've been giving this some real thought. And something I've struggled with in systems change is we spend a lot of time on issues and like tangible systems and how to think them through, how to maneuver within them, how to dismantle them. And that's not the system that's gluing all of this together and making it impenetrable. It's belief, attitude, mindset. It's the intangible stuff. And this was one of the first things I ever said to him. And it was just like, I want to rock with Soapbox because in 2020, I'm only focusing on arts, culture, journalism, information. Um, And that was my goal was to engage with organizations and just support in a meaningful way. I'm good at administrative operations. So it was like, Sometimes that's difficult for a, different, a variety of different organizations. So it's like, I'll just volunteer that because I want to make sure that the more important piece, the organizing via art and culture and information happens because that's what's going to change minds and change hearts and galvanize people to ask questions and want change and want to see something different. So I knew going into this year that that was going to be my, my avenue. And so as things continued to move forward, uh, you know, pandemic hit and it's like, well, okay, what are we doing? And then, you know, George Floyd. And um, I live just north of Inglewood and I spent a couple plus years um, managing a program, a 10 year revitalization effort in Inglewood. So post looting, once it left downtown and came to my neighborhood, I'm looking like, what do we do? You know, the next morning I jumped up immediately, called my friends who also are amazing and they lead nonprofits throughout the neighborhood and they were just like phenomenal. It's like, we got to do something. What do you want to do? I know that you all have already been doing food distribution this whole time during COVID, but things are starting to slow down for that. So like, maybe we should do cleanup. Maybe we should do food distribution. I can put out a post and the post just went viral and we raised so much money and people all over the city were looking for ways to help. And so because of the timing, lots of people donated and then lots of people, I mean, probably $100,000 worth of just donations. Because to me, it wasn't just COVID, people are losing their job, we need to do food distribution. It was, we don't know when Walgreens, CVS, Jewel, any of it is gonna be open. I drove into the South suburbs and literally cops were blocking off the ramps, even as far as Lansing, like whatever y'all got going on in Chicago, don't bring that here. So I was like, 
it's one thing not to be able to afford. It's another thing to, even if you can, you can't. And it happened right at the end of the month. So I was super mm. freaked out because I was like, tomorrow is June 1st. On June 1st, Ju- on, on May 30th, we're running out of stuff. On June 1st, we getting paid. So mm. it's like, you expect I'm getting paid on the 1st. I'm going to get my benefits or whatever on the 1st. That's when I'm going to do my month's worth of stuff. And we didn't know when anything was going to open and if it was going to be open for another two to four weeks. And so I was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? So we ended up putting together like a rapid response, which the Inglewood Strong Program, I got to give it to my best friend. Her name is Michelle Rashad and she manages Imagine What If. Amazing, 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 brilliant. Um, easily, number like top 10 rising stars of Chicago, if, you, if I tell it, you know. So she um, has been managing the Inglewood Strong Program since we started it in May. You know, so now here we are in August and people have been very generous. Now we're delivering boxes to folks' homes and it's just been amazing. Um, but that sparked me to say, I need to contribute something. So what what do I want to contribute to this moment? And I knew that it would be in a, a cultural contribution because I think uh, when it comes to direct service and programming, there are always people, especially on the South and West sides. Black people are resilient. We will always show up for each other. We will always create a program. If there's a real like disparity, we're going to show up. We're going to stand up. We're going to do the work. We're going to make sure people have what they need. We always do. So I didn't worry so much about the programming because we're resilient. And so it was like, how, what, like, what do we do with this moment Mm. when people are thinking about resistance in a lot of ways? And I've always seen the divide, which was really evidenced heavily this past week between neighborhood organizations that are doing community development and maneuvering within the system and issue-based organizations or or folks who are focused on black and brown liberation Mm. who are looking at it totally different, engaging different, acting different. And there's this chasm between the two where they don't talk. So because like the issue-based organizations and like liberation, like ideology organizations aren't necessarily talking to the folks who are, doing the like job fairs and that kind of stuff because the economic development community development groups often are like older folks and communities because they're not talking somebody's got to like be the bridge to bring this like wealth of folks along and push them into the issue stuff so then like anti-white supremacy became mainstream it became cool and hip right and anti-racism was very mainstream and everyone was starting to think about their own personal actions. And so erasure has been um, heavy, heavy, heavy on my mind and like how we produce knowledge and how we understand um, the spaces that we're in because black people, Afrofuturism to me is that black people belong in all spaces and all places in all times. And so we already are and we always have been and the erasure of that contribution, what does that mean? And that's how we got to resisting in place. That was like a very long way to say it came full circle of like, we had this moment where I knew that my ideology was changing about how I wanted to contribute. And then George Floyd happened. And then I did what I knew how to do. And then I said, I wanted to do something different. And so uh, one of the things that has been amazing to me, resisting in place is really just about highlighting people in industries and professions and creative expressions because we need them all. We need everyone, you know? We need black people, we need brown people who know how to do everything 
in order to build a new society. And so how do you use those tools, understand them in the space that you're in, use the expertise and understand them in the space they are in, and then move your political ideology and your collective consciousness to a new space to do something different with those and help us build the society that we want to see. It's not like in a contribution-based society as opposed to something that's about, you know, financial capital. It's not like we still don't need carpenters. It's not like we still don't need arbitrators. It's not like we still don't need, you know, everybody who's an attorney, maybe they'll be an arbiter or mediator. You know, you just, you never know. We don't know what this is going to look like in a new affirming world. And we know that we need all hands on deck. And so how do we build a bridge to create space for all hands on deck? And that's kind of where resisting in place came about. Um, is So long story short, <laughs> It is a very, very cool publication that'll be out in the late fall um, where it's basically submission-based. In 24 hours, we had submissions from people all over the country about Black people they wanted to refer who are resisting in their own institution, industry, or creative expression. We had over like 15 disciplines represented immediately. We had every region of the country from New York to Florida, D.C. to California, and everything in between represented the first day. Um, so it's not a question about wealth of capacity, skill, talent. It's there. And people are like actively supporting uh, anti-white supremacy and anti-racism exactly where they are. You know, the movement for a lot of people is about police brutality. It's about, you know, abolition and mass incarceration. Um, but what folks don't understand is that people are pushing for anti-white supremacy everywhere and always have been. But because you can't see it as a coordinated network across professions and industries, you don't understand the depth and breadth of what Black Lives Matter really means mm. across this country. For a lot of people, it's just like marching and actions. And that's really not the end point or the beginning. Um, and we're all doing our best to resist in our own way at the same time, everywhere that we are. And people need to know that they're not alone. And people need to know that there's a range of action from like easily accessible to radically imaginative and very disruptive that we're all actively doing all the time. So um, I'm super stoked. I love this project. I'm really passionate about it. I, the hardest part has been not spilling the beans. All of these submissions have been crazy. So I've been wanting to post about them on my own personal social this whole time. I'm like, did you know this was going on? This person is raising money. We need to go in right now. But I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to be discreet. So <laughs> I'm you not going to spill like a bean or two on BNB, you know, we ain't going <laughs> to give me the uncut version or something. I don't know. <laughs> there are talking. some people that, um, you know what? Because this person already knows. Uh, for sure, for sure, going to be highlighted is my friend Patrice, who um, is just insane. She's super dope. She's an attorney. She has a company called Creative Genius Law. And her focus is on supporting creatives uh, across Chicago and helping them with their intellectual property and owning the things that they put out. And so her um, resistance is to think about the fact that a lot of Black people have been exploited via contests. And so you enter a contest mm. because you want exposure, but you don't really read the terms. And then they own that work from you and they never have to compensate you and they never have to choose you and you don't have any rights or royalties to it. And so six years from now, they could use it and publicize it. And there's really nothing you can do about it because you entered it for a contest and they don't even have to cite you because the contest is over. 
I have so, not entered some like screenwriting contest because of that reason. I'm like, wait, you got what? You got the whole thing? It's like it's Jordan Peele. I'm like, I don't give a fuck who it is, and I just don't enter. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm not that like legally savvy, but I read the the, the words. I'm like that. I don't want that. You read the words. I don't like that at all. I'll figure it out on my own. Fuck it. Um. So wow. And I I think I I've heard about her, uh, in that company. I I'm assuming through you through someone. I kind of read through the website and everything. It seems super dope. So that's awesome. Yeah, right? the initiative's called Black, and so she's basically helping people own their stuff and get their rights back, which is like. Yeah, like that's the hardest part. You put something out there and people take advantage of it. It's like it's like signing a basketball contract, like Scottie Pippen's contract. Ooh. Get your oh money, black God. man. Get your money, black man. Have y'all seen have I don't know, listen, Last I dance. don't know if y'all saw Last Dance, but oh, that contract yeah. was trash. Trash. But Garbage. it was Talk like waste. You need the opportunity. So here you go. And now you're locked into it. And that happens all the time to creatives. You need the exposure. So here you go. And now you're locked in and you don't even get anything for your work and they use it. And so black people, if for as long as we're going to have to maintain in this capitalist system, we own our stuff. I love how you said as long as we're going to have to, because like, we know it's going to end. We know it's not going to be always. So as long as we're going to have to. I mean, even like Scottie Pippen, like any NCAA athlete, like ever, it's like your likeness, your work, your labor, just sign this here. You want this education? You want this opportunity? We're going to take this off from you, which I think is slowly changing, right? I think the other day or today even, um, something broke where they'll be able to, like, make money off their likeness or likeness is theirs for, like, video games and stuff, which is, like, a very small baby step, but it's something. Um, that was part from the point. Uh, that yeah. was amazing. I, I love hearing the background to to this project. Some of it I kind of knew were teased out, thought, but not as much. Um I'm curious, David. What are what are? I'm curious what your thoughts are from he- hearing hearing all of that and what's going on in your in your noggin. Yeah, no, I mean, just I, I think one thing that that we we like to do at Burn Brown Town, especially you know s- since the beginning, talking about like you know resistance and what what that actually means, um, and and I think something Colin and I have kind of talked about is looking to see how how that has changed. Um, as an example, like with, like, as I mentioned, I've like, my politicizing moment was Trump's, you know, election. Right. And so that's for a lot of folks. And so understanding like what, you know, what resistance had looked like prior to, um, and then what my personal involvement and how I would personally contribute and or resist. Mm -hmm. Uh, right. And then I think, you know, as you mentioned with what we've been seeing through 2020, so many of the, uh, ills and, you know, problems that we knew existed uh, are just that much more transparent, right? And I think um, kind of listening to you talking about like resisting in place, I thought it was an, I thought it was like super dope. I was like, you're grab, you're basically allowing yourself to just grab the dopest of everything <laughs> and showcasing it for the world to see, right? And I think sometimes that's incredibly important because how often is it that there's this organization who's been doing the dopest work, but no one knows about it or not enough people know about it. Right. And, and sometimes understanding that being able to provide a plateau or a platform for someone, right. To, to be able to gain exposure. And by that same, like gain resistance. Right. Um, I think it's incredibly valuable. And like, I think that's super cool that you're doing that. And when I, when I saw it, I was like, I was like, who is this person? I mean, we just submit, we just like highlight a black, like, that's it. Like, is that it? Um, but it's, and I'm, I'm excited to really see, and you said it's, it's going to be coming out in the fall. 
Yep, late fall. And honestly, the tipping point that made me say, okay, we got to do this was um, I got exposed to Tunde Way. I'm obsessed with his work. He is a chef based in New Orleans. He does the coldest, radically imaginative and extremely disruptive work in the food industry. Ooh, tell I us. Mean, just tell us. I mean, cold. what does that mean? Speak so, y'all, so are you familiar <laughs> with Sarah Bartman? <laughs> I am not. So Sarah Bartman, mm. um, hundreds of years ago, was a woman, a black woman, who was taken around paraded in circuses because of the size of her body. Um, and so he started a cart, a food cart called the Bart. And if you were black, it was $12 to get food. If you were white, it was 30. And so if you, pay, you had to pay the $30, you had to have a conversation about wealth inequality, and the $18 extra that you paid over the black person was redistributed to black people. And I was like, okay, then, okay. <laughs> then he did another, um, he did another uh, action about gentrification in New Orleans and it was called hot chicken shit. And it was a dinner with Nashville chicken. And if you wanted one piece of chicken, it was a hundred dollars. If you wanted four pieces of chicken, it was a thousand dollars. If you wanted a full chicken, it was a deed to a title of land in Northern New Orleans. And he was basically like, how many of you think you're gentrifiers? How many of you moved into a community because you really wanted the culture? How much more are you willing to spend to maintain the culture? Because the people who created the culture that you love so much are gonna be pushed out because you're there. So how much more are you willing to spend? And then everything he made from that dinner was donated to a community land trust. And I was like, oh, you snapping, snapping. So that's when I knew that this was gonna be the tipping point that I was like, you can't be the only one doing this. And it was so interesting because I just, I don't think a lot about the food industry. Sure. Um, I have in the context of working with restaurant workers, mm. but his, his uh, initial essay was called about, was about letting the food industry die. And he was like, I don't want to see a package specifically for the food industry. I want you to let it die because the people who are benefiting are the owners of the restaurants and the chefs, the black and brown workers, the waitstaff, the busboys, the line cooks. They, they're not having the same experiences that the chefs and the owners are having. So dismantle it and start over and rethink what the food industry has to look like. We have to challenge the white food media. It's not Southern cuisine. It's soul food. We have to think about the ways that they add mm. black experience when it's politically correct and necessary as additive, as opposed to critical and imperative to the understanding of the landscape and the space as a whole. Um, it's not just like a highlight or a feature or like this mm. one black person has really great food. What an exception. It's, it's like, like you wouldn't have this and it wasn't for us. Correct. And like he also did another um initiative called lost condiments where he was like we have to decolonize food you know um coming out of west africa there was fermented locust beans are called idu and idu was replaced with bouillon cubes and he was like nah like we're gonna sell this because this is true to culture and true to tradition and people should have access to it to cook with it and of course it sold out um as opposed to being forced to use bouillon cubes right now he's selling salt for a hundred dollars a box to white people 
and he has like one that's like a regular white salt box and like a remixed design of the box. And there's a thousand boxes of salt and he's selling them all for a hundred dollars each. And it's like, okay, like it's simple salt, but reparations, but we're going to redistribute these funds and think about it. And so that's obviously like very far radically imaginative and disruptive, sure. but there's, there's a continuum of like easily acceptable, easy, easily accessible um, resistance in a space that people could find an entry point into and grow into as their consciousness changes and their journey expands. And then there are folks who are already like, we going crazy, let's go. <laughs> um, and that won't be everybody's lane. So, but right. just creating space to talk about the variance and contribution in all these industries. Day one, it was like, we had agriculture submissions, we had theology submissions, we had architecture submissions, we had, you know, social work and therapy and chief diversity and equity officers in governments across the country. And it was just like, what, wow, you know, what do we, what do we want to do with this? Um, and like, I'm really fortunate to have friends who just want to jump off the deep end with me every time I say, Hey guys, we're going to do club Morgan. Let's talk about one of my cool ideas again. And then we just get on Zoom and, and meet us up, meet up at the club, the virtual pandemic club. Hey, bounce, 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 bounce. I don't, I'm I don't know why you bouncing. Colin never comes to the club. I got mm. okay. This is these are facts, but I respond like, "Hey, I cannot come. It sounds amazing. That's <laughs> <laughs> how I'm gonna try to slide. <laughs> I, I never do anything, so you can't. It's not it's nothing personal. He does I a lot of come. soapbox. So let's I just. Want, I want, I want he's, to come to the club. He's busy doing club. soapbox. So the, that thing that you love so much, yeah, that's all my boy right there. Seventy five percent coming from that brain. But right I, I appreciate the shade. It, it is much deserved. Did you know what resistance coming to the definition of resistance for this project? I didn't do it on my own. Um, mm. I had a little think tank where I asked just a diversity of friends who were in different spaces. I had one friend who was, who is a black, um, black liberation theologist come. Oof. And then I had a couple of friends who were organizers and like the, like very specific black liberation organizing space. Um, and I just had a variety of folks come to this meeting and I was like, what does resistance mean? What are like, what, how do I contextualize this? Because I'm not going to define it by myself. I need a community to think about how do we want to define what it looks like to resist? And it's so, I mean, interesting because you get everything from existing in a space, right? To finding joy, laughter, love in the context and in spite of all of the things that we endure. And then contributing and fighting erasure and being intentional and calling things out, what does all of this look like? And that was how we helped frame resisting in place was just a communal definition of what resisting was going to look like. But it wasn't quick. It took us a second to really think through um, what resistance looked like to all of us because to everyone it was different. Yeah, like definitely. drastically different for sure. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's kind of like where, where where I was like when looking at you know the submission that is that is it, it, it is is it still available by the way for folks or is it no longer? Yeah, available? it's rolling. Still it's rolling, rolling until it feels good. Rolling until Ooh, it feels good. I, and so like one it. of the things that I thought about was like, and I think one of the questions speaks to like how that how the individual person organization is is resisting right. And I was like, well, there's so many ways that I can be resisting. Like what what kind of works the best. And so, but then we're also looking at like, how do we as creators 
or, you know, organizers or, you know, professionals define our resistance when we weren't aware that it even existed at some, for some, right? Because then to others, it's like, it's much more, uh, or, 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 or more, a tr- more of a traditional form of resisting that we're used to versus, you know, when you're talking about the boy who's selling hundred dollar salt, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, you know, to me, I'm just like, man, my guy's just out here playing the system type thing. But, you know, thinking now a little bit more specifically to like the crux of the projects, like it is, it is very much so like a resistance in this form, et cetera. Um, you know, we got a lot of, we went from, you know, anti-colonialist expression, attitude, politic, to hair culture and cultural expression, to like actively engaging against the state and alternative economies, to like just unapologetic claiming of identity, right? If you're in corporate America, maybe there isn't necessarily the space for you to do something super subversive if it's not your space, but the fact that you're there, the fact that you're there and you're wearing natural hair is a lot for some spaces. The fact that you're there and you have braids is a lot for some spaces. And that's just like performative, that's just aesthetic. That's not contribution. That's not impact. That's not idea. That's just presence. There were so many conversations about subversion and just respectability politics and tropes and introspection and insurgency, you know, so we went through a lot to get to the space that we're in now to define resistance. And I'm, I feel good that it is, um, inclusive in a lot of ways of a lot of the things that we said. Yeah, and what I'm hearing is that there's a there's a wide latitude to what it is and can be in, with respect to the industry and res, with respect to the place, the space, um, the the whatever, which I think it should be, right? Um, it, it's it's nice hearing that you went through this process with a community to kind of get to, get to that point, right? Because um, what may be necessary or make sense or be even pushing the buck in the streets and like as david said like traditional organizing spaces that's not gonna work at state farm right but just wearing your natural hair may change up a bunch and doing things that folks around you may not see all the time and doing it intentionally kind of knowing that it's gonna turn heads um maybe that like that's it and that's and that's and that's what it is right and then like you get people in the door you can kind of push that a little bit here and there so um that's really cool that it's it's across the board that's one of the things i like really liked about seeing the projects i feel like Especially the early BNB episodes, we talked about resisting a lot because on the cusp of Trump's election, there's a lot of actions, obviously in movement spaces because they've obviously doing the work, um, and it was just more immediate. But also, people were radicalized across the board, black folks too, and also like lots of white folks, lots of folks who had never done anything movement based before, who were trying to get involved and seeing like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? I think we're hearing that again this summer as well, um, and. What's nice about what's been nice about this summer is that I don't have to be the one to answer that question all the time. Um, with uh, with with white folks and with unpoliticized folks, but also with like older black folks or black folks who are not really movement adjacent, but just are black in different spaces. Um, there's people already kind of telling, "Here's what to do. Here's what's happening. Here are the books to read, the things to to listen to, the things to watch." I'm like, "All right, cool. Y- y- y'all y'all got it. Awesome. Dope." Like everyone has their role, right? And I feel like that's what I'm hearing a lot with, with this, which I think is really cool. Um, I am curious, and if anyone else has any things, please chime in. But I'm curious if uh, I forgot his name, but the uh, the chef with his kind of like radical imaginative uh, of work and pricing and his whole, his whole deal, if that's like 
one end of the spectrum, the most like punch in the face, here's what we're doing, let's go part. What what is the other end that is is, is seemingly not uh salient res- resistant, but is also kind of like more so subtle um in respect to its space that you've gotten submissions for? You don't have to say like by name, but I'm curious like what the latitude is as far as like um the non traditional resistance spaces. You know Does that make sense? Yes. And one of, so one of the things that I'm struggling with and I'm mm. thinking a lot about it on the submissions is I have gotten a good amount of submissions for chief equity officers, chief diversity officers in governments across the country. So the existence of the title and the intent of the person mm. is one thing. The actualization of power dynamic within the space for this person to be supported well-resourced, well-staffed, listened to, and have the power to define projects and their trajectory in the context of equity and diversity is another thing. And so your existence in the space at all is more than we could have said 24 months ago. Chief diversity officers, chief equity officers, that stuff didn't really get hot until really this last like three to five years. And like only because the gaffes were so big and they were very industry specific, you know, it's like, like diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now everyone is in a diversity, equity, inclusion, but they weren't always. And so as the space expands and folks are like, well, I've got the politic and I've got the intention. Mm. Um, sure. But do you have the power? And that's not to any fault of your own. Right? Like when you lead your own shit, when you're doing your own initiative, you can be subversive. You can be a chef at a restaurant and then do your own shit on your own time and be just fine and still be resisting in place within the industry. But for a lot of people, especially in public service, you're seeing interest and intent, but handicapped power. Or you have a chief equity officer or a chief diversity officer at the very, very top and no equity and diversity staff within the departments. Mm. So like who actualizes it when you're not telling everyone they have to do it, who implements, who thinks it through that kind of stuff. It it becomes very difficult. And then, and then it starts to say, okay, well, what is the intent of the creation of the role? And so when you start to think about the resistance, the person in the space at all, because they have access to it to some degree is resistance, their existence in the space in a title that wouldn't have existed six years ago. Because people are forced to think about racial equity and racial diversity. There's that, but then also like measuring impact. Um, Is your resistance based on your impact or is your resistance based off of your commitment and intent to try? Because not everybody is going to be in a space where they are not the only one. So your intent to try maybe may fall on deaf ears, but you tried and you lifted and you did something. So resistance is nuanced. It, it, I mean, going through the submissions has been tough because there are definitely, there are definitely some submissions that are like, Oh yeah, for sure. And then there are some <laughs> submissions that are like, you have to really dissect how committed to existence in a space you are as resistance And on the surface, that is resistance. I think it's hard, right? Because there have been a number of spaces where I have been the only Black person and one of only a handful of women. Mm. 
um, that war breaks, right? And so that alone is subversive to the normative culture of whiteness as supreme, white maleness as supreme, Mm. um, coming into the space and saying, no, I don't have to straighten my hair. I am going to wear these braids. And I'm like, black, black. And I'm going to wear this African print dress. And like, we, we, we out here with the kente cloth. What's good? The aesthetic is still subversive to the normative aesthetic. It's still resistance. Even if it's not, we flipped this whole shit and now Black people are in charge of this whole company and they're the number one beneficiaries of the outputs of the company. Sure. It's still resistance in the space and the place and the time. There's going to be a section in the end product about corporate employment because it, it's, it's just really hard to navigate and it's where a lot of Black people are. Thanks. I'm I'm so curious about that world because my my brother and my dad are in it slash have been in it for a long time. Hopefully my brother is getting out of it. Let's fingers crossed. Uh and my mom has been in academia, but she's very much been like she's been that person, like do her own thing, wear the braids, show up, be loud and be like amazing and intelligent and like blow everyone out the water at the same time. But my the the, the other males in my family have been in that in that world for a long time. Um and it's always interesting talking to them or just hearing about what things that happen in their world. And like, since, since I made the journey to like go into film, then like from film, go into soapbox and during those two things happening, go into activism. And as my political ideology was being getting more robust and I was learning more and doing more, I was just getting more away from even that, that being even a possibility. So it's, it's very like foreign to me, but I spent a lot of my time, critiquing it and what it does uh, on, a, on a hierarchical level and how that makes the dominant ideology for everything. Um, so as much as I like to think about it and talk about it, I'm also very uh, distant from it. Right. And so. I think people feel that way. I think people feel that way. I'm curious about those people. In the, the black liberation space. Yeah. But, but also, I, also, I, don't, I don't shame anyone in that world. Like, I don't shame. It's not like I'm like, oh, I wouldn't do that. You can't. You shouldn't do that. You should yeah, do no, X, Y, Z. I don't think like, no, it's no. that. It's not that I at all. But that, I'm just like, tell me about these struggles. I think that folks don't understand the water you carry in a corporate space, regardless of industry. You are the arbiter and the gatekeeper of the history, the current, and the future vision, and all of the impact. You're responsible for it all. And that is absolutely insane. You get in a corporate space, your industry, if you went to school for it or you ask about it, more than likely will say that there's either, like I've met a number of architects who have said they asked about black architects in in architecture school and they were like, well, there aren't any that have contributed anything valuable to the space. So your history is on you. Researching it, figuring it out, defining it, keeping it alive, that's on you personally. Then being in the space, resisting in the space, in the moment, also on you. Then having the framework to have the vision to include and infuse your experience into the work that you do and have an, a net positive impact on people who look like you in the future, also your responsibility. So you carry it all. The history, the present, and the, fish, and the future by yourself or with a handful of a couple of people, assuming that they're skin folk that are kin folk that agree with you. Mm, mm, that's real. Explain that so phrase. Like, 
for the uninitiated, explain what you just said. I want I want to unpack that. Everybody who looks like you isn't going to agree with you and isn't going to be like as everybody's in a different place on their on their consciousness journey and, and how they understand and frame their own political ideology and what they've been exposed to. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are fine with assimilating into this in the culture and the system. And that's black and brown. There are a lot of people who are like, I just want to get mine. I've gotten a glimmer of hope. I've gotten a glimmer of opportunity. And I know that if I just keep working hard in the space, I can get. And so like, once you start talking radical, they're like, right. But like, I just got this little bit of peace for me and mine. And like, if your radical vision is never actualized, I still got a legacy to protect. So I'm going to do what I can for my little piece to make sure that like, if you got, God bless and Godspeed, but if you are budget <laughs> Mine are cool. So, I mean, hey, we have endured conditions unimaginable. So survivalist mindset, also resistance and also understood and also valid and justified. And at the same time, um, that hope, that imagination for the world that can be, that's communal and like centered in those like hopeful and affirming things, requires a politic, which requires conditioning, which requires access and exposure. Um, And that's not the like space that everyone resides in. So somebody can look like you and not necessarily represent your ideology or your interests. Um, And so I totally feel you because I have, I I find it difficult to participate in a lot of things. Like I tell everyone that this is my last job. Besides the fact that I'm very, for, like, frankly, I'm really fortunate to be in a role where I'm trusted and, like, empowered and I have space to be myself. And I came in, like, black as fuck. And they knew it and they understood it and they respected it and they don't, like, try to detract from it. So I don't go to work every day and fight with white people about being black and, like, fighting for black people. You knew that was my agenda when I walked in the door and you said, cool, right. and you still, like, okay, cool. So, like... I'm, I'm appreciative. That's not the space that a lot of black people go into, especially in like a majority white, especially not a development space. Right. But to like be in a space where you're welcomed, you're affirmed, you're, you're valued. And people are like, Hey girl, your blackness and everything that comes with it and everything you want to do for black people, we cool, whatever you want to do, let's go. That's been great. Um, so, but that's not the space a lot of people are in. And so I couldn't imagine working anywhere else. I cannot imagine working anywhere else going through a bunch of microaggressive shit, you know, being passed over, you know, going, there's a really great article about black women going from pet to threat where like they love you in the very, very beginning. And then they realize that you're not just like the black face that's there to look pretty and affirm all their ideas. And now you have a bunch of ideas of your own and it's like, okay, I don't fuck with you. Oh, you want to do the work? Oh, we thought you're, you were just going to... You're oh, walking on eggshells, you're uncomfortable, knows. you're like, oh my God, I don't know if I should say that. And it's like the thing that's right for your people, but it's not the thing you feel comfortable saying because you know that other people don't understand it. <laughs> Tom, you're and, a racist. And, but they're also like very loving, mm. anti-racist, progressive liberals. So like... You don't want to step on toes and be the like agitating black girl, but you also want to be true to who you are. So it, it's it's hard. I would I I totally feel you in the way that like I can never probably work literally anywhere else but what I, where I work right now. Um, and after this, I will probably if 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 there is an after this, 
it will be on my own do being an entrepreneur doing something else because there, there just is no way I think I could work for anyone in any space knowing what I know believing what I believe about the world that we could have as an abolitionist David mm-hmm. I, I I have been I've been watching you no but I, I've been I, I've been I've been I've been seeing the gears turn especially when Morgan was talking about not all skin folk are kin folk right I, I I saw you light up when when we talked about that. Uh, I, I'm curious of your take on that uh, in just your journey in personal life, your work with Soapbox, and you've touched on it before. Obviously, different with the podcast, but uh, I, I feel like in the past little bit, obviously everything's been different with COVID, with the uprisings, what have you, in the past week for you personally. Um, but also, um, I'm thinking about years ago working in the restaurant industry. And you essentially labor organized the gang against not against, but to to fight for rights with the with your owner, right? Um, yeah. Uh, uh, and those two kind of different things, but very similar. I, I'm curious your thoughts on everything Morgan just said, particularly not all skin folk are kin folk, as well as uh, your just organic, literally labor organizing. Yeah. Okay, but you're going to have to into all of this. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's, there's just, there's just so much to kind of go into. And I think a big thing, you know, is, is understanding for me, it's, it's, it's knowledge, right. And understanding how it is that I can go about, uh, whether that be resisting with my peers, you know, whether that be like, Hey, like we're not getting paid, but well, we need to get paid. Let's do something about it. And, and, and being, being a voice for those that sometimes don't feel they have it, because at least in my experience prior to having worked in like fine dining industries and things of that nature, it's, you know, it's predominantly immigrant, you know, middle-aged men who I'm like constantly surrounded by. And, and oftentimes language is a barrier um, for, for folk. And so for me, when I'm, when I'm listening to, for example, that not all, not all skin are kin, um, you know, I think in, in my experience, it's, I think, you know, I was, I, I want to, I don't want to say like, and that's also like, I don't want to be like, oh, I'm like the most radical motherfucker in my team. Um, but also though, <laughs> well, that may, well, that may or may not be true, but I think there's like certain aesthetics and certain attitudes that I'd carried just on as a person, which I think very much help, help us put us in the positions that we need to be. Right. And I think, um, you know, when, when I'm listening to, you know, how different people can be resisting my initial thought and I'm, it's constantly kind of always the other side, right. And being like, well, well, you're doing too much. Oh, like that's, that, that's a lot. It's like, oh, it's like. Uh, you're not going to get anywhere with that. Oh, like, do you really think you're changing anything? Like, that's that's constant, you know, um, language and 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 you know thoughts that were that that we're so used to doing, right? It's like, oh no, just like, oh, like don't don't speak Spanish at your job because they they're they're telling you not to because you know the customers get upset, you know, and and so when when I'm dealing with this as a young as a young as a young brown person. I'm not truly understanding the implications of white supremacy within this space, right? I'm not understanding patriarchal issues within, you know, these these careers and roles. But as I've kind of been gaining this language and this information, add that with the attitude and this unapolog- unapologetic behavior from the get-go, it kind of just, I'm very much one of those person who has had, does not have a problem keeping my mouth shut. And that's very much gotten me in trouble in multiple situations. Um, and I think that's, that, that's kind of like the balance that sometimes people have to find, right? It's like how, it's like how far is too far. And I don't believe that you, there's no such thing as too far. Like you're going to, you're going to get it. You're going to, you're going to go ham. 
Um, but it's like kind of with with our kin, right, or with with people who we're either working with things of that that nature. I remember I was working in River North, and I think the thing we were trying to get was like. So they, our schedule, they, they would give it, you know, a week at a time, but they'd get like a day or two before the week actually starts. Right. And then um, the state of Illinois passed. Again, the restaurant industry, right? Yeah, right, yeah, restaurant industry, River North in Chicago. Um, and then like a legislative, uh, so, something passed where it's like your job legally has to give you more than two weeks uh, before they give you your schedule, blah, 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 blah. Um, I found this out, started like putting together some things, started getting collecting people and like I don't necessarily say that that's why I got fired or let go, um, but I've had Air a lot quotes. of situations where, you know, I've had altercations or, or you know, discussions, I want to say. But oh, you are you're scrappy? Facts. Are you <laughs> kidding me? Like, I can't, like, and it's hard for me to keep my mouth shut. Like, I was working at Hyde Park. There's also another spot. It's like, like, I it, it was found out over time that the, that the owner was taking money. And this is a black you know, owned, you know, restaurants like for the black people, but there was so many anti-black sentiments that this mm. gentleman had um, very, very extremely sexist, you know, attitudes that he held towards his employees and his, his guests, his customers. Right. And so me kind of becoming into this politicized world, um, you know, finding language, finding verbiage, finding attitudes and ways to go about organizing my peers um, that's kind of where I've always found myself. And so it's interesting. Cause like the, the goal is like, you would want everyone to be like, yo, yeah, like this motherfucker's t- taking our money. Let's all unite and do it. But the fact that sometimes you'll have people like, no, but like, what if it doesn't work? And, and like, I think fear is such a, s- such a strong component when we're talking about things like resistance. Right. Yep. And so it's like, people are cool with doing, you know, you know, I don't know how we can, you know, there's so many different ways, but like, you know, it's like, oh, I'm only going to do up to this, you know, and then I, I've done my my part or I'm playing my role. Um, but after that, it's like, no, that's that's too much for me. And I, I can't do that because there's a fear that I'm going to lose my job. There's a fear that um, my community is going to turn on me. There's a fear like all these other things. Um, but I think, you know, to, to me, when I have conversations like that with friends and family, my thing is like, you know, the con- the, the belief that this system will remain shows that y'all have no imagination to make it mm. better, right? And I think that's that's where we go into this creativity, right? That's where we go into arts and, you know, you know, ways and education and ways in which that we can actually get across our thoughts and our feels for a world that is actually possible, right? Like, these are things, like, I remember talking to Colin about this when Trump was a thing, when Trump became a thing. Um, and I'm like, you know, I think I seen him, and I was like, man, that motherfucker's going to get elected. He's like, nah, I can't happen. I'm like, dude, he's, a, he's like, it's just gonna happen. And like, I, in my limited knowledge, was able to to see something like that. Uh, but from that, I think was the biggest impetus to, to to push us forward, right? And and really understand, you know, what what resisting can look like for folks. And 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 I've always been okay with pushing everyone around me. As I've been pushed, right, by pe- hanging out people like Colin and everyone who's on Bourbon and Brownstone also. It's like, for me, I've said this is like the biggest educational tool I've had <laughs> in, in most of my life because of the experiences and, and just the, the the backgrounds that all of y'all dope-ass people who are doing this work, right, staying close to the work uh, are producing and, and inspire me. And I'm like, if I'm seeing all this happen, right, that's why I think, that's why one of the things that I love so much about Resistant Place is like, I'm looking at this thing of all these dope-ass people. 
I'm like, what the, f-? like, it's like, okay, now what am I doing? How can I contribute? How can I add? And I, that's, that's one of the, that's where I, I feel like that's the power to it, right? Because for those, you know, for the homies who are working at Mickey D's not understanding how they can resist or for the people working in, you know, Bank of America and not knowing how to resist, like we, we find new ways and we learn from each other, right? Because we are that community growing together. And I think once yep. we understand that we are a community, once we understand that we're not individuals within this whole game, that we like we have to work together to do it, then I think fear starts starts to dissipate. But for that, it's like we have to we have to bring y'all into the fold. You know what I'm saying? We have to talk to y'all. I'm like, it's not easy. It's not hard. It sucks. Half the time you're fucking upset. You're pissed off at people. I remember having plenty of conversations with like owners, you know, specifically at this last spot at River North. They're part of the OF, FOP. And so this is when like Whoa. No Cop Academy was thing. So I walk in with my No Cop Academy hoodie. He, I get mean stares. He's like, he's like, what does that mean? I was like, here, well, let me sit down. Let me talk to you. It's very and, clear. It's very clear. You know, and, like, and I have, and, and, the, and the thing that I've found is the surprise that people have when I go about actually, you know, laying down facts, you know what I'm saying? And when we actually go into discussion, they're like, oh, well, uh, well, you know, I'm like, yeah, what else? Let's go. Left, right, I just left. ask people to billion. ask questions. Right? I just and that's, ask and, people to ask questions. Well, yeah. I mean, and that's, and that's, that's, I mean, and there's two folds, right? Because I don't want to say that everyone is like a piece of shit and, and is closed minded, but I feel that there's so many people in positions of, of power, quote unquote, you know, that feel that they don't have to question anything, right? And that the way things are are fine, right? And so for those people, there's calling things, there's nothing we can do for them, right? So it's like, I don't think that. This is not my role. It's not my, it's not Colin's role. Yeah, no, I hear People can do that and do that work. That's awesome. Keep doing it. That's not Colin's role. Yeah, no, no. And I hear, and and that's kind of, once again, (laughs) where we fall into like, everyone, everyone has the ability and the potential to resist, right? How we can go about doing so, plays with for me it's like it's always knowledge and then and then break breaking through that fear and i think having that community finding that network of humans who give a fuck just as much as you do is really that that initial step and i think something like you know what you're doing with resisting in place is 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 just the epitome of what we need right now and the people mm. need to see that motherfuckers are selling hundred dollars salt to people and getting away with it and then <laughs> using that and buying land for people or you know what i'm saying like and, and understanding like yo all these things that are revolutionary or are super fucking radical. It's like, they're not. They're not fucking radical. It's pretty simple. It's pretty cake. And we can all hang if we all do our part, right? Just understand and that it wouldn't, has a role. And uh, it wouldn't have to be radical if the systems we talk about weren't intentionally done to harm and oppress and kill people. You know what I mean? Like, I Hello. feel like like we and me included, me especially, like talk about systems, systems all the time. And I feel like what I don't center enough is that like, we made all this shit up. Like, we as in humans. We didn't. We, we didn't. Did we didn't. Like, us in the room didn't. But, like, humans made all this shit up. This is, none of this shit is the natural. Whites. The, the whites. And and the men and the, like, that's not just, you know, let's talk about all the isms, right? Like, this shit was made by humans, right? And so none of, none of this is natural. And so I feel like, and we've, we've made it into, we, those in power, the oppressors and whatever ism we're talking about, we're talking about white supremacy, white folks, um, Generations globally have made it into something that has seemed natural, that is so endemic to our institutions, to the way we do things, the way we operate on a huge macro institutional level, and as well as operate. And I talk to my friends and people I don't know. Um, uh, we've made it so it's it, it has actually trickled down to a human to human level, right? Which is is mind boggling. Like we have to decolonize our mind with, with so much of this, and like. 
me included, me especially, you know what I mean? Like, with any kind of privilege, you have to do that. Um, and even without, you have to see where that privilege is and see how to fight back that internalized oppression. Um, but all that's to say, like, this shit was made up, right? Um, and it was intentional to, to oppress folks. And so I think that's one of the things that we have to understand, especially with urging folks to have a bigger imagination and for ourselves to have a bigger imagination. And they're like, we made this shit up. We can make up something else and we can do something else. That's literally, I feel like I have that conversation daily because seriously, that's, that's really how I feel. Like we problem solve every day. Let's just keep doing it. Like we start systems over on a micro level every day. Let's just keep doing that. Like I'm right now, truthfully, I'm very pissed about the post office. I'm very, very, very upset about the post office. There are people who aren't getting their medication. There are people who are not getting checks. There are people who are not getting bill notifications, so they're behind and they don't know it. There are people, I mean, the mail right now and how Trump is like playing games with the mail is very, very upsetting to me. But Morgan, at the what same is, what time, what is happening with the mail? If I didn't know what the hell you're he, talking about, give me some He context. basically appointed his own postmaster general, and the postmaster, within two days of being postmaster, laid off a lot of middle management and like basically is obstructing the mail. My cousin is a po- as a mail carrier, and he was saying you before the rule was you can never leave mail on the floor at a day, of a day. You had the sorting machines. They sorted the mail. You were not allowed to leave mail on the floor. You, even if you had to do overtime, you were, you were getting mail out every day. Now they're like eight hours, leave it. So mail is just all over the floor. Then they started taking the mail sorting machines out of post offices. So you can't even, you got, now you got to sort by hand. I mean, it, it just is like so unreasonably in like, miraculously obstructive that I am just like you're kidding. Why is Trump doing this? I mean, of course, elections, mail-in ballots, etc. But the thing is, outside of that, like we're already in COVID. People are gonna die if they don't get their medication. Like, people are gonna get evicted. People are gonna have their bill shut off if they don't get notifications and they don't use online. I'm very, very sensitive about the male thing and it's bothering me. And I'm just kind of like, what do we do? And this should be the moment where people are like, wait a second. Trump's in charge of postmaster general. So mail is federal and it's against the law to get mail. That's not yours. So it's not like we can Uber mail. That's a felony. So like literally the only people who can do anything about it right now are Trump and the postmaster. You don't have a mayor that can do anything. You don't have a governor who can do anything. Congress can't really do anything. You can't come up with a communal response because it's against the law. Like literally two people are holding all of the mail hostage and people haven't gotten mail for over a month. I, that is scary to me, but that's not, to me, people are like, well, as long as we have someone in office who wouldn't do that, leave it. As opposed to, not only is Trump bad, but also the system created space for this to be that fucked up. Mm. So we should actually actively think about 
systemic solutions and not just do we have someone in office who just wouldn't do no shit like that right now it's like just get somebody in office who wouldn't do no shit like that but like why why is it possible in the first place <laughs> it, right it, should, it shouldn't be possible that even with covid response right like top of covid we knew it was bad and the president kept saying it's a hoax it's a hoax it's a hoax so nobody had any capacity to do anything not a mayor not a governor not anyone in congress all they could do was tweet and say like this is fucked up nobody could make him get serious about it until he decided to be serious about it until it was to his benefit to be serious about it and by then people were already dying it was way by way, then way, it was way, already way, spreading way but there was literally no response that anyone could have that was not informed by the federal government that was not activated because the department's report to the president. And so we can talk about budget and appropriation and law, and that's Congress. And we can talk about Supreme law and that's Supreme court. But when it comes to everyday function, you are voting for the manager of all managers. And Mm. so that person has to be able to manage a cabinet of people who are going to manage an additional cabinet of people each who are going to manage a down chart nationally because there are field offices for every department nationally. And so like, yes, vote for someone who cares, but also this system's not working for us. Like take a step back and realize that the way that authority is even allocated isn't working and we're left helpless and at the whim of one person should they decide to do the wrong thing. And so for me, it's like, ask questions. You know, there are a lot of people who would say, don't defund the police or defund the police, but don't abolish the police or whatever. And I'm just kind of like, imagine getting pulled over for a taillight. Literally no way you knew about that shit before you got pulled over. Unless you are walking outside and you have a homeboy or a homegirl outside like, Okay, girl, I'm going to pump the brakes real quick. Let me know if the lights are on. You're driving off. So the first time you pull me over about a taillight is the first front. First oil headlight is the first time I found out about it. And it's a ticketable offense. But if it's not raining, it's not snowing, and it's not dark and not well lit, we cool. So it would be more efficient for you to just say, here you go. Here's a little flyer. Here's a list of all the people who do have lights in the area. If you go here and let them know you've been pulled over, you're going to have 5% off and get it done in the next 30 days. God bless. Yeah, it's like, help me. Right. Versus like, you could write me a ticket if you wanted to. That's going to be three times the cost to change the light. Yeah. That's insane. And some of this stuff is just like, ask questions. Does this make sense to you? If a majority of the people, if, if drugs have literally been here for centuries, opium, whatever, drugs aren't going anywhere. So you can regulate them, you can criminalize them, and you can make it punitive, but drugs are literally never going anywhere. So we can have a proactive, regenerative, rehabilitative response to drugs and resist in that way, 
or we can keep making it punitive, but nobody gets helped. Nobody stops wanting to either do drugs or sell drugs because they went to jail. If you're selling drugs, you know there's a chance you can go to jail. So if you go to jail for selling drugs, it doesn't mean if you get out, you're going to just stop selling drugs, especially because jail is not a rehabilitative place. So it's not like you're going to career fairs while you're in jail. It's not like you're fucking getting an education while you're in jail. You're just sitting in jail thinking about ways to make more money and survive when you're not in jail because here you have a bed and meals and a structure. Outside, you got to figure it out. So you have no incentive to stop doing or selling drugs. That kind of stuff is just like, what are you thinking? That's why I'm like human-centered design asks questions because we can be punitive, but the majority of people who are in jail are in jail for nonviolent offenses. It's not like everybody in the world knows someone who just fucking shoots and rapes. And y'all not solving that either. So what are we doing? <laughs> this is like a lot of that, like, lots of rapists go free. Lots of killers go free. And it's not lots in proportion to the actual value of people on this earth. So what do we do? If somebody shoots someone at 13 years old and kills them, should they go to jail for the rest of their life? They can be rehabilitated. They can be introduced to a loving, nurturing environment and go to individual and group therapy three to five times a week and go to school and be just fine and come out at 18 and start a whole new life and start over. That's just the real. So it's a lot of like, what are we actually doing? Are we focused on people's contributions or are we focused on capital? And if we're focused on capital, we can't be meaningfully focused on a society that focuses on vitality and contributions of all people to make the society work in an affirming and nurturing and valued way because we're just focused on cash. All of it is a bunch of foolishness, but we just need people to ask questions. So my hope is that people see people in different industries doing everything from something small to something big and then be like, yeah, let's ask some questions. Why aren't we doing that at this firm? Why aren't we doing that in this space? You see these people doing it. You see these people calling these questions. You see these people informing their praxis with the centering of marginalized people. But the, pro- the difference between marginalized people and wealthy people is that marginalized people account for everyone and wealthy people account for wealthy people. Any system built by marginalized people represents everyone because they know what it means to not be represented. The systems that are created by wealth people only create proximity. So this is very much so like resisting in place doesn't automatically turn everyone into an abolitionist, but it asks questions. Mm, And it It like starts to think about it. Yeah, because I mean, the production of knowledge, right? To enter into a space that is informed by experience that you believe is valid. Everything that we think we know, we know nothing. And not because we're not well-versed or well-read. We know nothing because a large majority of the content that we consume on a normative basis is rooted in the erasure of our experience. It's not considered. And it's not enough for Black people to be at it. It's, It's like Black and brown people have to be essential and imperative to the understanding of life itself. And our experiences have to be imperative to the understanding of life itself. So if your industry isn't informed by that experience, it's probably a poisonous tree. And people don't want to engage because it's like anything that I've contributed that I've gotten accomplishments, accolades, or finances from is now free to the poisonous tree and you're undermining 
or invalidating my contribution. I'm not saying that. I'm saying like that was cool for that, but now we're 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 gonna just turn over the leaf, decolonize our minds, and restart the foundation from which we believe we know information and move forward. I don't I don't I don't even give a fuck about what you did in the past. We we all we off that. Now I give a fuck about your commitment and your intention to the future that we're trying to build. So like okay, cool, cool, cool. You got a Pulitzer off that. Like, that's great. And now we're moving on. And like, for that world, you were amazing. And for this world, you can still be. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's fucking beautiful. I love hearing that. And I think, you know, oftentimes, at least in my experience, when we're having a conversation with folks, it's like, you know, I think, as I mentioned, fear is one, but it's also like some people don't care to do the work. You know what I'm saying? Or even worse, is like at least in my experience, like it isn't until it's your problem that you do something about it. Mm. Right. And so which, you know, that as you mentioned, everyone is in their own their own timeline for consciousness. <laughs> so we hope that listening to Bourbon Brown Town helps get you there a little faster. Hey. And read little things like you know, resistant in place, you know, resistantplace.com is the website for that. Uh, is there any like socials or any other way people can kind of get at resisting in place on IG and then resistinginplace.com online um, to submit people? My hope is that people um, submit folks that make them feel something mm. because ultimately, if it makes you feel something, it makes somebody else feel something. My mom always says, if it tastes good to you while we cook, and she says, if it tastes good to you, if it tastes good to somebody else. And I feel like that. If it makes you feel something, it'll make somebody else feel something. Mama Malone coming through. <laughs> yeah, she's she's raw. She's raw. <laughs> like, she very is. cold. Um, but it, it's, um, yeah, I mean, resisting in place to me is about legacy, but it's also about imagination. And it's also about, like, no one person should have to carry the load of complete history, complete presence, and complete future by themselves. And I think there are a lot of people who are afraid to even be vocal to carry that load because they can't see other people who are doing that work. You know, I, I, was, I will say I was very inspired by the Black Lives Matter because ultimately, you know, to know that there is somebody who is saying, this isn't the European honeybee. And the earliest hieroglyphs around bees came from Egypt. And like, we have black beekeeping rituals in Kenya. And, I, and I'm a black beekeeper right now, but if you Google black beekeepers, you won't get too much. I saw a tweet the other day that said, I'm writing everything I should be citing. And it was about academia and just how like a lot of the things that people of color are writing right now are things that they should have the, the, the opportunity, the depth, the breath to be able to cite from other people. But other people's work hasn't been amplified, lifted, mm. and, and glorified the way that whiteness has become normative. So now you're not citing other people's work. Even if that work is out there, you don't know where it is or what it is because you are basically building everything. We, we can't always be building everything. At some point, people have to say, black people were here. 
and they did stuff and they created stuff, you know, like I don't want to see anything about Eli Whitney and the cotton gin anymore. You didn't create it. You didn't, your slave did. So like, I, I've been very, very extremely frustrated because there's a representative uh, cotton Congress wants to remove people's edu federal education funding for teaching the 1619 project, which centers the black experience in slavery from 1619 through the impacts of slavery on black people. Um, came out last August and now it's been birthed. It's gonna be a film, it's got curriculum, et cetera. If you teach 1619, that's revisionist history and we will remove your education funding. It's totally ridiculous. That, I mean, literally I watched a video a few weeks ago of people going to the library in Wilmington asking about what happened in 1898 and the librarians being like, why do you wanna know? What do you wanna know for? Like, are you gonna give me the book or what? That kind of stuff is crazy, but this is what we're, the life that we're living, the world that we're building is not new. We have attempted to build this world times and times again. We are not the first people to have this ideology, like let's just liberate us all and abolish. Right. We have attempted to build this world many times over. And every time we try to build it, we either get you know erased or crushed or someone intentionally removes, divides, hides that history. So I think the most important is that we're not new to this, we're true to this. And we always have been in every space. So it's like accentuating that. So people can feel a pride in like building on something. So you don't have to, I don't want to be the first of anything. I don't glorify being first. I don't want to be the first black anything. I want to be the black that contributed that built on the history of, and that provided not a ladder, but a jetpack to the next person to go Oof. 50 light years beyond what I could have even thought of contributing to the space. They got all I want to do. Literally all I want to do. A good friend of mine used to say, why would you climb a ladder when I can give you a jetpack? Why would you do that? Why would you waste your time doing that? And it's like, yeah, you're right. And like, I can do that for a lot of young black girls who look like me. You literally don't have to do anything that I did because I can just help you do what I did right now. And I hope you get there 10 years before I did. People over profit. That's what I'm hearing. Always. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get it. So with that, we're still trying to abolish the police. We are trying to abolish ICE. We are trying to abolish Homeland Security. Fuck Wall Street. A, B, and C. <laughs> and they're like... ICE and Homeland Security are so fucking new. They're like not even two decades old. People don't understand that. Like Homeland Security is after 2001. It's like it's not even two. It's it's I'm older than Homeland Security, the entire fucking department. <laughs> like I'm older than it. Like people don't understand like, yeah, we can get rid of this shit. We don't need it. Um, with all that, thank you so much. That was beautiful. I, I hear Miriam Cobb a quote that I love so much in what she just said. Um, her words, not mine. Quote, write yourself into history. Not because you're vain, but because you're important. Your work is important. You're building off the work of your ancestors, and someone will be building off of yours. Period. Period. And that's son. on period. That's on God. That's on me. Well, Morgan, I mean, I think I'm really excited to like be able to share a space with with you. I'm really looking forward to you know 
resisting in place coming out. Uh, Late fall, I know Soapbox will definitely be on the lookouts for that. Sharing Soapbox going to be in it. Eh? Oh, well, there you go. Yep. That's, your, that's your bean, Colin. That's your bean, Colin. <laughs> but um, is it? Uh, I just want to give you an opportunity to give any shout outs to any of your peoples. I you know you got that community helped you. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, go ahead. At first, Michelle Rashad, Imagine Inglewood If, cold, executive director, Imagine Inglewood If, would not have the Inglewood program, Inglewood Strong program without her. She day in and day out. Same with Fatal, Think Outside of the Block. Cole, one of my favorite organizations in Inglewood. They do a lot of work. Same with Cecile DeMello and Team Mark Inglewood. Inglewood is like all I really want to talk to y'all about and the folks who are really like doing that work. But outside of that, I think um, there are a lot of young people who are doing the work too. Good Kids, Mad City. There are a lot of folks. Black Lives Matter Chicago. There's a lot of people. Let Us Breathe Collective, Gumbo, who are showing up every day. And like at the end of the day, do we show up? Do we show up as we are? Are we giving all we can? Are we are we doing it in like the spirit of true, you know, liberation in whatever way we conceptualize that and or just like neutralizing harm? I think there are a lot of people who maybe don't have that language around it, but there are a lot of folks who are really, really critically thinking about neutralizing harm. And that's all community development mm. and economic development and black lives in black organ in black neighborhoods is to me. Um, folks who are like, okay, I just want to start small businesses so we can hire black folks. I just want to try to neutralize harm. Like the only way that I can ex- understand it in the concept of, con- of capitalism in the way that it is, and assuming that capitalism will continue to move forward, is how do I neutralize harm to black folks in that space? And I don't think that folks in community development spaces get enough credit for that because there are a lot of people who automatically don't agree with capitalism to begin with which I understand. And at the same time, there are still a lot of people who do believe in it, who are like, I just want to make sure you don't do any harm. Even if you're not additive, I don't want you to be harmful. And that work is important too, and deserves to be uplifted. Um, So I'm, you know, I'm super geeked. I'm very, very, very fortunate to be around a lot of black people, brilliant black people who agree with me, who think like me, and who just want to see us all move forward. My hope, you know, abolition is about love. Mm. My hope is that we are, I'm not waiting on my kids, 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 kids. You know, my hope is that in this lifetime, I always say to my friends, if I, if 20 years from now, I know exactly what I knew 20 years from now, what the fuck did I do? Um, you know, I'm not, you know, at, at 26, about to be 27 in a couple of months, I got this quarantine birthday hey, popping. Turn up, turn up. Right, so before I get the birthday pop in, it's just like, damn, at 46, do I want to have known what I know at 26 and not see the world that I want to live in? I believe that we can, besides the fact that I believe we will win, I also believe that we can have that life and that world prior to me bringing more life into this world. Because we can understand it, we can think about it, we can try. That's all I'm asking people to do. Try to figure it out. Try to come up with some solutions that are not fear-based. And just think about it. Just ask questions and just try. And find other people to ask questions with. And find other people to co-create with. And find other people to be in community with. And love each other and affirm each other and value each other. And then use that as the basis for everything you do moving forward. And it doesn't have to be that somebody loses. If everybody just contributes what they've got, we can do something. And I think folks are so far removed from what it really means to be communal 
And um, I'm really, I'm, I'm excited about the way that our ancestors created space for us to understand community. You know, I, um, I, I told a friend of mine that uh, if you've, as, if you grew up and you listened to Anansi the Spider stories, Anansi was always predicted as cunning, um, but he was also very wise and very knowledgeable. But when folks came over during the slave trade, they, it didn't matter if you were in the Caribbean, it didn't matter if you were in South America, it didn't matter if you were in America, you knew about Anansi and you used those tales to tell stories of freedom. And that was how a lot of people told stories to communicate they were going to be running to freedom. That type of like work has happened. This is not the first time we've resisted in place. And so we have always resisted in place and we've always held near and dear to our truth and our history. Even if we had to go and find it, even if it wasn't explicit, we've always done it. And so just using resisting in place to create space for people to continue to do that. Um, I think there are a lot of people who are going to look at it and say, oh, wow, I can do that. That's accessible to me. Or I got friends and I got homies and we can replicate this initiative. And you're seeing that a lot now. Like mm, totally. first it was, oh, we need to do food distribution. Nationwide, we did food distribution during looting and rioting. Then it was like, hey, what if we can get people to donate fridges? and fill it with like perishable produce and people can walk by and grab that for free too. Now you see fridges popping up all over the country in front of places. People just have to see it's possible. They just have to see it's possible. And um, my hope, my my goal right now is that every discipline has four to eight examples. Um, So probably not more than 20 disciplines because it could be a little overwhelming. (laughs) Um, but there will be outgrowths. There will be outgrowths. I've been getting that question a lot of like, what happens if I, I want to be selected. What happens? I don't get selected. What happens? Um, I want to like, what happens after this initial publication? Probably tops the initial publication covers just under a couple hundred people. Um, but that's still like, there are at least a couple hundred people in the millions of us who are trying and giving you a blueprint to try too. And there will be more opportunities for us to showcase the thousands and millions of us who are also doing things. Um, So I'm looking forward. I don't know what's next. I get asked that a lot. What's next? I don't know. It could be like Instagram account that just posts people in their stories. It could be a publication. It could be an organization. It could be something we fund and like build a fund around. I don't know what it's going to be, but I do know that whatever it is, it's going to be affirming and loving and about wellness and about people's freedom and sovereignty. So I'm looking forward to whatever that looks like. I love it. I I'm speechless. (laughs) it never happens you're speechless wow i love it no i think it's so great i think it's powerful and i think i think the people need it the people want it um and i hope they're ready for it uh because if they're not like that's you know this is we're we're heading into an unfathomable time right for all of us you know um and either you're either you're with it or you get with it if not you're gonna be left behind 
Yeah. Right? And, the, and the goal is that, you know, we're, we're all there. And so thank you so much, Morgan, for taking the time to hang out with us. Um, Y'all let me talk you to death and I appreciate you. Oh my goodness. No, trust me. If, if I was like, if I'll interrupt you, I'd interrupt you. But like, I thought I loved, I loved your flow and I loved everything about it. I'm really excited to see what, what, what we have in store for the future. Okay. I just want to make sure that I say this because I've been seeing it a lot and I just, my homie in a very nice way said that people don't have the range, but I'm not going to say that, but I do want to say it because it's important as we prepare for this presidential election. Yes. Get Trump out and hold them accountable. Like I hear you. I know we don't want Trump. Mm, I got it. Ten four. Check, check. We not on our handmaid's tail trail. I get that. We with that. We going to vote blue. And at the same time, like this vote costs something and I'm still going to hold you accountable. And we all have to be true to that after this election. So like, Every election we say, okay, we'll just vote for the right person, then we'll hold them accountable after. And then we don't really do it because y'all don't but, be going to meetings and y'all don't be showing up to shit. But we really need to. <laughs> but like right now, to say the least. Really <laughs> like this is the lesser of two evils, but also show up, like commit to Googling and really giving it real thought and really, really showing up because our world depends on it. We do have an administration who has some intent to do better. What we don't have is an administration that says no more fear and only affirmation. Let's like, let's think about the constitution. Let's think about cities and how they're charted. Let's think about the systems and how we've built them and how we can reframe them and redesign them and not reform them, but dismantle them and rebuild them. We need that. And we need people to understand that. So like, yes, vote. And also, the best of the world has yet to come upon us, and we can fight for that. And we need each other to fight for that. Um, And I'm depending on all of you to help me fight for that. And it means the world to me that we are able to have a a kids that see a world where they can be exactly who they are in any space and any place and be valued, affirmed, important. So we're all depending on each other to create the world we want. And that is not in complacency. That is not in the system as we know it. And that is not necessarily even in these candidates because they don't see how the systems are founded on things that hurt people. So um, if I leave anyone with anything, like yes, resisting in place, but bigger than that, resistance period, because we need you. Um, so that would be my last like real real thought is that we need to think about the fact that we need each other I can't do any of this without you but I know there's a better world that's possible hashtag we all we got hashtag we all we got and with that from Berman Brown Town stay black stay brown stay queer stay tuned stay turnt and then we'll see you next time and I'm letting you know For more information on episode guests, related media, and topics, check out the episode notes. Follow us on social media at SoapboxPO and or visit SoapboxPO.com slash podcast.